We are kicking off a new series today called Relationship Goals. And that term is one that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, but it's something that definitely floats around social media circles because what happens is someone sees a snapshot, one picture of a relationship, and they're like, oh man, that is what I want. Like, you know, this picture of the, this couple feeding each other some food. There's something, it's like, oh, I, I want to be in that rustic situation where she's feeding me bacon. And it just, that looks like such a great, adventurous relationship. Like, that's what I, I want. That's what I dream of. Or, you know, I want to travel. Like, look at this couple that's traveling together, camping out in the mountains. I really, like that, that relationship goal. Someone I can go on adventures with. Uh, I want to go camping, but I just don't want to go camping where I don't have a bathroom and a refrigerator and a microwave and the exact kind of coffee that I like to have from Starbucks every single morning. Like camping with all that stuff would be great, but that looks, man, that that looks like an amazing goal or like a big family. Like one day I want to have a big family. Like I want to have like 13 children. It's going to be awesome. And like if if you, yeah, the people who with the most kids are the ones laughing at that. And I like what Jim Gaffigan says about having a large family. He's like, if you want to know what it's like to have a large family, imagine that you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. It's a lot to juggle because when we see pictures like this, when we see snapshots, it looks awesome in that moment, but a snapshot never really tells the whole story, does it? I mean, one of the things that, that comes to my mind about this, this concept of relationship goals and about just seeing one little picture and just dreaming out the rest and make believing the rest is all just easy was, was one time, I don't know what, you know, I was thinking in the moment, but I was just walking past Tia in the kitchen and I grabbed her hand and I pulled her in and did the same little, you know, slow dance that I've been doing since eighth grade, you know, just left side, right side, and just danced with her in the kitchen for a minute. And she wrote a real simple status about it. But the women likes on that status that Paul just slow danced with me for no reason in the kitchen was like, boom. Like, I mean, there's 82 likes on the post very quickly and two of the likes were from men. The other 80 was just women, which tells you something about who that kind of thing speaks to. And there, there's been so many people who've made comments about that or things like that in our relationship. And they're like, oh, you guys are such relationship goals. And I'm like, are we? <laughs> like, do you know what's happened behind the scenes of those wonderful snapshots that we let you see? Because I can promise you there have been more arguments in that kitchen than slow dances, right? I, I mean, like you, you see the pictures, but you don't understand the craziness of having a bigger family. We have disagreed about how to do chores, how to manage finances, about things about church, about things about other jobs, uh, about sports. We've argued about how to handle tantrums, the ones that the kids throw, the ones that I throw. Like, I mean, like we've argued about everything. And and we've had to through rough experiences, we've had to grow. And believe me, through, uh, you know, we're 17 years into marriage, we're still figuring it out. And we have our moments of joy and we have our moments of difficulty. But if all you ever saw were just the moments, the highlights, the, the Instagram worthy moments, if that's all you ever see from relationships, when you get into your own relationship, you're gonna be surprised. Because we have this concept of I'm going to find the one to marry. Like, and the one is someone who looks exactly how I want them to look all the time. 
The one is the one who always agrees with me and we always see it the same way. The one who is always willing to do the extra chores while I just play on my phone and relax. The one who just does the things that I want to do. And you're going to quickly realize that that one does not exist. And here you are with a real person with real problems, real hangups, real issues, real things that you guys have to navigate together. And the way that we visualize relationships and the way that we set goals for relationships, I don't believe that culturally people are really picking up a realistic picture of it. And so I want to begin to just paint through this series just some real stuff about navigating a relationship with another actual human being, not the dream human being, all right? And as we get into this, I also like to just note there are people who, who just say, I have the gift of singleness. Like, I do not need a marriage, and I get that. But if you're in here and you're a single person and you plan on staying single, you're probably stuck knowing people who are married, and so you're gonna gain some wisdom of how to help them in the future. And some of you guys are like, I'm far away from being married. You're gonna begin to paint the picture and take the right steps of preparation so that you have a healthier marriage later because we know the longer you prepare for something the better you can do it and so even if you're young now begin to put some of these truths in your heart so that when you enter into a relationship with the person you choose to marry one day you will be best prepared to navigate that season because it's not going to be easy all the time it it can be beautiful beautiful meaningful incredible, but it won't always be easy. And we're going to begin to study relationships at the very beginning of all things. We're going to get into Genesis chapter 2 and verse, verse 18 through 24 in just a moment. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Genesis 2. But to give you some background, on the beginning of Genesis, that's where God begins the act of creation, where he's speaking the world into existence. And I want to make sure that we magnify this truth about the person, the personality, and the capacity of God, that he is so powerful that he spoke and stars formed. He spoke and the universe came into being. And as he's doing this, there's something literary that God is doing in creation where each piece he's identifying it and he's talking about the light and the land and the plants and the animals. And he puts this punctuation on each piece of creation and he says that it is good. But when we get to this point where he's speaking about the creation of man in Genesis 2, there's this huge emphasis put on this moment because he departs from what he was doing in all of the other pieces of creation that he spoke about because it was just continually and it's good and it's good and it's good and then we arrive here in verse 18 where we'll start reading and we'll project this on the screen as I read it and it says then the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper who is just right for him so the Lord God formed the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there is no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. 
Now, each piece was good in creation until in verse 18, the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. And there's a theological point here that whenever I teach on this passage, I always like to highlight that if you've never really thought about it before, as God is calling different points of creation good, he's not making a statement about the moral capacity of sunlight. He's not making a statement about the moral capacity of water or land. What he's saying when he uses the term good here is that what I have just spoken into existence, it has the capacity to perform its duty, to do what it was created to do. It's good, it's functional, it's working, it's doing what I created it to do. And so when he gets to man, he states what is true, that right now in this current situation, while it is just man, he can't do what I have designed him to do right now as it is. And as Adam is doing his job and, you know, one of the jobs that God gave him right at the beginning was he brought the animals before Adam to see what he would call them. And he's sitting there looking and, you know, he sees the chicken and the rooster and he finds that they came before the egg. And so that answers that question for you. He sees Minnie and Mickey and he's like, okay, those, those are mice. And he sees Daisy and Donald. And he's like, okay, those are ducks. And he sees... Um, Simba and Nala, and okay, those are lions. And then he, he sees that, you know, there's, there's Thumper and Miss Bunny, and, you know, th- those are rabbits, and they're doing what rabbits do, which is eat vegetation and hop around. For those of you who weren't sure, that's what they do. But he's beginning to see that there's pairings, but there's not a pairing for him. And we're going to see, see this in the passage, and I think that it's, it's important to note that part of God's creation that's going to become evident as we, we look at this and look at Adam's response to when he sees Eve, that he's recognizing, okay, there's Tarzan, but there's no Jane. Like, none of these are like me. None of these are for me. And when we see the way that this is written in here, I want to clarify something, that when it says that God was going to create a helper that was suitable for man, this wasn't about making the woman subservient to the man. This was a recognition that without her, he can't be what I've designed him to be. And as we see at the end of the passage, the goal and the outcome of a marriage relationship is not that one is the servant of the other, but that the two actually become one. So I want to make sure that we see that, that, that clearly as we study this passage together because there has been other perspectives about the role of men and women and the respect that each part, each one of them that has the image of God designed all over them deserves in the household. The two are to become one. And within the first created man, within Adam, there was this created desire that welled up as he saw each part of creation there was a desire that welled up in him that I believe is put there by God. That, that it was just this drawing that I, I want someone to love. I, I want someone who's going to do this life with me. And, and we, we see this beginning to well up. But it, it's, you know, the, the first part of this, the first truth that I want you to see is that God puts goals into our hearts. He puts dreams into our hearts. He puts a desire to love and to be loved into our heart. And that is a good desire to have. It is a gift from God. 
And if you're young and you feel like, I want to get married someday, or maybe you're in your 40s or 60s or 70s, and you're saying, you know, I I was once married and I desired to be married again because that's ended, and and I want, I still want love, and there might be guilt or hesitancy in moving towards it, I want to tell you, it's a good desire to have. It's a a healthy desire to have. It, It is something that God has put into people. And so it's not something to hide from or to run from, but we are supposed to enter into relationships in a God-honoring way because they are something that can honor God. And like Adam, he was in this time where he was given a desire, but it wasn't brought to fruition yet. It's an interesting thing to look at because God set Adam up in this situation where God knew he would begin to have this desire for someone, someone that would be there with him. And so God sets us in these seasons where we have a desire that is not yet fulfilled. This is true across the board. There was actually just a really good message that was preached here last week about planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping, that God puts us into seasons where there is a desire and a dream that we don't have our hands on yet, but we know that the work that we do right now in preparation for that really matters. And in the realms of relationship, I wanna let you know that if you're not in that relationship yet, there is, there's a very crucial point in time that you're in right now because you are preparing the direction, the velocity, the speed that you're gonna go, the direction that you're gonna go in life for how you live and how you honor God because the disciplines that you have now will enter into your relationship with you. And if you believe that right now how you live doesn't matter, it's not gonna suddenly change once you're married to someone else. If you have a dream to have a God-honoring marriage and raise kids up who follow the Lord, but you wanna just live wild right now, you are severely mistaken because God sets you in seasons of preparation to, to make good choices now so that you can experience those blessings later because this is, this is the next thing that I wanna, I wanna tell you. You don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. You don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. What you plant, you will harvest. And so right now, if you're saying, I want to be in a relationship, what are you planting right now? How are you praying right now? How are you growing in your relationship with God right now? So that when you get to the point of having someone else's problems and gifts in your life, how are you gonna be able to serve them? And this is true if before you're in a relationship, but once you're into a relationship, you know how hard it is to change the direction that a relationship is going. So if you are blessed with a season of preparation, take it seriously right now. Because once you're into those habits, it can be hard to make changes. And it is a gift to be in that season of preparation. And so if right now your life is in the season, I'd compare it to uh, what, what I would call camping. Many of you guys would call it backpacking, but I just call it camping because I don't think you're really camping if you have a refrigerator and a toilet with you on your trip. That's not camping, I'm sorry. That's, that's, you're living in a mobile home, a home that you pull behind you. That, that's not camping. Camping is when you are away from outlets, away from power, away from the city. That's how I see it. I, I, I lived in North Georgia for a while and spent some time on the Appalachian Trail And that to me is camping. Like when you have to put your food up in a tree because bears are around, that's camping. And you have to be prepared when you go backpacking because there is no 7-Eleven convenience store around for you. 
Like you have to have all the things that you need. And so if you forget something, like if you're going on a five-day trip and you don't bring your water purifier, like you're gonna have a really bad time. And so you have to have these things. When it, one of the times that we were going, the driver who's dropping us at, a, at an entry point for the trail, he was telling us how he dropped a 20-year-old kid off who was telling him he had an ax on his shoulder and he's like, I'm just gonna go be a hermit and live in the woods for the rest of my life. And all he had with him was an ax. Needless to say, about two days later, when the driver picked him back up from the same point, the kid realized he was unprepared for what it was going to be like to live in the woods. Uh, one of the sayings that, that we use when we go backpacking is you collect how much firewood you think you need for getting through a cold night, and then you get 10 times that amount. Because the truth is, your need for preparation when you're out in those environments is so much greater than what you would think it would be. And many people have entered into marriage realizing, I thought I had what I needed. I had one tool in relationships, and I was grossly unprepared. I thought I was bringing enough. I thought I understood enough. And then we got into the relationship, and the honeymoon phase weared off. And now we have to figure out how to live with this person who actually has opinions. They used to never have opinions. They were so easy to get along with. I think part of preparing for a marriage is just preparing for the realism that they're going to be a lot more like your siblings than you thought, young people. They're, they're going to be a lot more like someone who has thoughts about things. They're not just going to go with what you want all the time. And if you're, you're in the middle of a relationship right now, I want to tell you, it's not too late to start adding skills to how you navigate this relationship. It's just going to look different than if you were before it. Um, there's going to be a lot more moments of removing your foot from your mouth and saying, I know that I've always acted this way, but I want to begin to change. I think that's why it's easier to make changes before the relationship because you're the only one who knows what you need to fix. But if you're in it, it still can be done, but it just takes a different kind of humility to do it. As Adam was there and he's naming the animals and there, there's something that begins to kind of well up in him. And I want to I want to show you this in the passage because you may, may have missed this as, as he was reading it. In, in verse 22, it says, And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And do you hear what Adam is saying about how he's feeling in verse 23? His response to seeing her, at last. You ever noticed that in the reading of this before? It, it, it gives you some implications about how Adam had been feeling leading up to this moment. It also probably tells you the correct words to say when your wife tries on a new outfit in front of you. At last, exclamation point. That is awesome. That is, that is what I've been waiting for. That is what I've been hoping for. That's the dream that's been sitting there in my heart while I've been seeing everything else that is so different than me. I am so thankful she does not look like a porcupine. She does not smell like the skunk. She does not live underwater like the fish. Like she is like me and that is what I wanted. There, there's this truth that when the dream came, there was a passion that was there and that passion was given by God. That desire to have a relationship with someone that was like him was given by God. The waiting in it was a gift from God. Those moments and those times of preparation, it was a gift from God. And that feeling, that exclamation, that here it is, 
It was the beginning of the first relationship. And what we read about their, their state where they were not yet fallen into sin is they were completely unashamed. Like there was no fear. There was no hiding. There was no, I need to keep this part of my life secret from you because of how you might feel about it. None of that was there yet. And I want to tell you that that is still God's design for the relationship, that there is no sense of shame and hiding between the two of you, that you can be 100% completely real with the other person. And that is why the end of the passage brings out this incredible truth that the two are supposed to become one. That this is the incredible thing about the relationship that God has intended for you, is that when you choose that person, when you find that person that you're going to marry, the objective that you work towards is that you'd say, we're becoming one life together. She can know, he can know absolutely everything about me. Her problems are not just her problems. My problems are not just mine on my own, but we serve each other and we work for each other. We, when we find out that there's a dream embedded in the other person's heart, it is now our dream to see that come to life for them. The two lives, the two different desires, they move towards each other and they become one. Ephesians 5 describes the, the marriage relationship in this incredible, beautiful picture. And, and it says, serve one another. And then it goes into the, the, some differences of husband and, and women. And, and oftentimes people will read that whole chapter and they will see where it talks about women serving the husbands, but they miss the introductory sentence to the whole teaching, which starts with submit to one another. And this is the design. Two people who their lives are so interwoven that they seek after each other's dreams for the other person's benefit. And this is an incredibly beautiful picture when it is working, but it is so important that when you're at the point in your life where you're choosing a spouse, that you wisely find someone who sees marriage the same way because you will be accountable before God for the type of husband or wife you are. You will not be accountable for the choices that they make. And so if you enter into a relationship with someone who fills the need to keep you from being lonely, but does not care about God at all, when they continue to just serve themselves, when they are married to you and you're trying to serve them, but they are never serving you back, you will regret the moment that you ignored the instruction of Scripture to be what Scripture calls equally yoked, someone who is moving in the same direction of following Christ. You will regret that because it is a beautiful thing when someone says, my love for you is second because my love for God is first. And because I love him so much, I will pour my life out for you and for your dreams and for your needs. That is what you want. When we think about relationship goals and that whole concept of like the dream marriage where there's passion and romance and this commitment to each other that is undying, all of those things really have their foundation for lasting if they're built on a foundation for Christ. Because when you study the type of love that scripture calls us towards, it's a love that is both passionate and serving. It is a love that is selfless with no expectation of return. But when, it is, when a marriage is done scripturally, that love and that service is always returned. 
And so if you're at the point in life where you've not yet chosen your spouse, choose carefully because you are called to serve them and you want to find someone who sees things the same way. And some of us might be in a difficult situation of saying, well, that would have been great to hear 10 or 15 years ago, Paul, because now I'm stuck with this. There's a ring on it now. If that's where you find yourself, then you start serving. And you continue or you start praying. And you love them in a way that maybe that they don't deserve yet. And you trust that God is going to work. But your story will look differently than other people's stories. No matter where you are in your story, I'm going to tell you, it's not always going to look ideal. It's not always going to look like the Instagram pictures. And that's okay. In fact, that's what every single person in this room who's married has experienced. It's not always going to be easy. And that is one of the beautiful things about these two lives becoming one is that it doesn't just happen. It happens with work, with investment, and with time, and with building on the right foundation. Because if you build on the wrong foundations, eventually it will crumble. Jesus talks about this concept of building on the right foundation in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24. And I want you to pay particular attention to the way that he begins this verse in, in verse 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the wind beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now Jesus is talking about two different ways to build your life. He's comparing your life to a house that is built. And you can build two houses in exactly the same way. But whether or not they stand will be determined by what that house is built on. And the conditional factor that changes between a house that collapses and a house that weathers the storm is anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it. And we know that churches are filled with people who grew up around the church and have been around the church and have been in the church and they can talk about church things, but they do not follow the teachings of Jesus. They don't speak the way that he speaks. They don't show compassion the way that he taught to show compassion. They don't serve other people the way that he has taught us to serve. And when their household crumbles, they ask God, why? And the answer is very simple. They have not applied or followed the teachings of Jesus. When you look across the spectrum of Christian, married, mar Christian marriages, and secular marriages that they say we have no involvement with God. Studies have shown the difference in the divorce rate is marginal. And that's a terrible thing that that's true. But within that study, they found one really interesting subset that I brought up here before. And I'll bring up many times because it's so powerful. There was one thing that happened that if it happened every single day, those marriages 99.9% .9 of the time would never go through divorce. And it was as simple as this, a couple that prayed together every single day. Band, if you guys make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. When we talk about relationship goals, we think of 
adventure and love and passion and being in really good shape and eating great food and seeing exotic places. And I have nothing against any of those things. But the foundation that you need to have a relationship that will experience that not just in one posed moment, but through years of love and life and changing in season, changing of circumstances, the thing that you need is you need a relationship that is built on a foundation that will last. And some of you guys would say, our relationship has built, been built on sand for years and years and it feels like it's breaking apart. And I wanna tell you, there is still good news for you. If you're in a season of preparation and you haven't found that person yet, there's good news for you. You have time to prepare so that you will have something that is beautiful and meaningful and lasting. But to know that you're building on the right foundation, as Jesus says, is to be following his teachings. Because the goal, the goal at the end of the day, as Genesis 2 says, is that the two would become one life. And so I want to help you, encourage you, challenge you to begin to put to practice some of Jesus' teachings. And we're going to start off in just one of the most simple but most powerful ways. I am going to challenge you to pray with your spouse every single day for the next seven days. And if you're not in a relationship yet, then begin praying for your spouse for the next seven days if that dream is in your heart to be married one day. Begin to lay the groundwork because the principles and the disciplines that you learn to do now will carry over one day. So go ahead and start doing the things that you hope to do when you're a father one day, when you're a husband one day, when you're a wife one day. Go ahead and begin those because this is what we know. If I've just spent time praying with someone, it's really hard for me to stay angry at them. If I've just spent time with them in the presence of God and I know that in Jesus' name I've been forgiven of so much, I can't help but extend that forgiveness to them after an argument. I know that I can't criticize this person that I've just been praying for God to bless and show his favor and to encourage and protect. I can't criticize them if I've just been praying for them. If I have a responsibility to encourage them daily, I'm gonna be reminded of that if I've just been praying with them. So many things that we want out of our relationship, we know if we have a regular prayer life together before God, those are gonna more easily grow out of that if we're first starting in prayer. And we know that if we seek after the kingdom of God, everything else that we need gets added. And so today the challenge is simple. I want you to have a healthier relationship by starting with prayer. And the other thing that we know about prayer is that God answers, God acts, he shows up. So you might even get to see together have your spouse or your, your significant other as a witness. Man, we lifted that up in prayer and God moved. And that'll build up your faith and your relationship. So let's enter into a time of prayer and I just want to ask every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if you're going to take this challenge every day for the next seven days, I'm going to pray with my spouse. Would you just lift your hand for a minute so I can see who I'm praying for? I see you. That's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. It's awesome. Put your hands down. 
If you're a single person in, in here today and you're saying, I am going to take the challenge and I'm going to pray for myself and for my future spouse every day for the next seven days, that's awesome. Praise God, I see you. That's awesome. together. Father, I thank you that you answer prayers. I thank you that when we seek after you, everything else that we need gets added. I thank you that when we put you first, when we follow your teachings first, it creates a foundation that a beautiful relationship, marriage, and life can be built upon. And so help us to hold firmly to what you have taught us so that we can experience your best both here on earth and in heaven so that we can be the example and the light the world needs us to be and so that we can experience the love that you have written a desire for in our heart. We are thankful for second chances. We are thankful for your grace that is given. Encourage us as we step into this challenge again. We, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for the opportunity to show love and be loved. In Jesus' name.